0: Welcome to the Black Theater History Podcast, where we seek to celebrate the people, the plays, and the rich stories of the American theater's African American history makers. I'm KB Sane. Today's guest is Marcia Pendleton, who is the founder and president of Walk Tall Girl Productions, a boutique marketing, audience develop, and group sales agency for the performing arts with a special emphasis on the theater. Founded in 2000, the mission of the New York-based company is to make the arts accessible to the widest possible audience. Now, we're going to name drop a little here. Walk Tall Girl Productions delivered marketing services for the Broadway productions of Choir Boy, St. Joan, August Wilson's Chitney, and Sweat as well as group sales support for Tina, the Tina Turner musical, and Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations. Walktown Group Productions has also served as audience development consultants for the Public Theatre, Manhattan Theatre Club, MCC Theatre, Playwrights Horizons, The New Group, Signature Theatre, New York Theatre Workshop, and the Billy Holiday Theatre, among others. And the company publishes a weekly e-newsletter, Black Theatre Online, which features interviews, special events, and news from the Black Theatre community. She serves on the executive board of the Black Theatre Network and on the board of directors for Project One Voice. Marcia and her work have been featured in Ebony Magazine, The New York Times, The Philadelphia Daily News, ABC.com, The Philadelphia Inquirer, and most recently, in Playville.com's features on artists bringing theater back after the COVID shutdown. Marcia is also a dear friend, an amazing artist, and an amazing human. And it's an honor for me to welcome her to the podcast. I wanted to... Start with kind of your origins and your roots. I like to take the journey through uh, where people came from, and I'm curious I've never asked you how you came to theater. I, I realized you had a sociology degree in undergrad.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Talk to me about how we got from point a to to point B to until you went to University of Maryland.
1: I went to St joseph's University. Uh, a small, private, Catholic institution. In Philadelphia. In Philadelphia. And it was not exactly the place that I wanted to go. I wanted to go to Cornell University Mm. or I wanted to go to Carnegie Mellon University. Neither institution offered me enough money to be able to, to do that. Although there is a history of historically Black college uh, and university university graduates in my family on both sides, both my father's side of the family and my mother's side of the family, I was not in touch with any of them. Mm. Um, For them to share with me how important it would be for me to go to an HBCU. I was with my mother and her husband. My father was out of the picture at the time. And neither of them had gone to college. And for some particular reason, they thought that, and these are their words, that going to an HBCU was receiving a de facto education. Mm -hmm. And them not understanding that at that point in time I think it was 90 or upwards of like 95% of the Black professionals that were educated came out of HBCUs and and went on to do marvelous things and went on to get graduate degrees um, including doctorates mm-hmm. from all of these universities that they thought um, were better, you know? Mm-hmm. So I did not have that. I could have gone to FAMU, you know, uh, because it was a family tradition on my father's side of the family. And then on my mother's side of the family, there was Bennett College. Okay. Um, so, um, and there was also the possibility of, of Spellman. I had an uncle and a. Um, great-grandfather who went to Morehouse, you know? So, oh, uh, and uh, the person who raised my mother, it was her uncle, but I called him Pop-Pop. Uh, he was my grandfather. Uh, that's the role that he filled. He went to Morris Brown, you know? He went to Morris Brown at, at a time in the 20s, you know, um, so I had this, this legacy that was completely ignored because I was not in a space where I could take advantage of it. You know?
0: Did, so, is that something that you wanted at that time or is it I something that no you recognize looking back?
1: You know, this is, looking, um, this is looking back that I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, I was in this bubble that was created um, by my mother and her husband and i was trapped by it yeah i was absolutely trapped by it and i did not i knew that i wanted to get away but i didn't know how um, so when the college applications i when the confirmation said yes um congratulations what they decided to do was to stay to hold my place at St. Joe's, uh, the, the last place in the world that I wanted to go to.
0: So that was not your choice?
1: And that was not my choice. That was not my choice. Um, but I made the, looking back, I made the best of it.
0: Were you able to do theater there?
1: Yes, I was. And I was absolutely enthralled uh, by theater. Unfortunately for me, I was the only little Black girl who would go out for, uh, that would audition. Mm -hmm. And uh, people from the uh, Black student unions, our Black student union um, were not supportive of me doing that kind of theater. They were okay with me creating work for them to do. <laughs> <laughs> I, but the distinction is an important one, even yeah. at that age. Yeah, they, uh, they were okay with that. They were very excited about that. I even found, um, it's somewhere around here, but I found the, um, what was uh, a playbill, you know, like a program from this piece that I wrote and directed called The Celebration of Pride. Mm. And I did something, I just drew it out in 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 Magic Marker and they they used it. I have to to show it to you at some point. I would love that. Um I don't
0: think that I knew that you wrote at that age. It makes so much sense. I but now I read, you know, press releases <laughs> the newsletter and that sort of thing. And you are such a strong writer, but I, I love learning that you were writing plays and no were you writer, director, producer? Yes, I was all of that. No, and I know you were an actress as well.
1: Yeah, I did I did all I did all of that and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was where I felt most comfortable. The reason why I majored in sociology was because I was forced to major in something that I would be able to feed myself with.
0: Why? I graduated from undergrad with a degree in education. Yep. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) For the same reason. Yeah. So um, I had a uh, minor in community mental health services, which, um, which provided me some idea of what I would need to be uh, a social worker uh, and then I also had this minor in English but the English but all the theater courses were under the English department yeah. so that's how I took those those courses so that's how I even though I have a minor in English it really is pretty much theater you know it was performance classes
0: I'm also this is the first I've ever heard you talk about the social work background. And that makes so much sense to me because as a marketer, which of course I'm jumping ahead, but you know, as a promoter, you are so attuned to those conversations, to conversations about mental health and women's health and the broader health of communities and how we engage with one another. And I I have never known. How deep those roots are for you?
1: Oh, they're they're very deep. I spent almost a decade as a social worker. I worked with um, young men who were adjudicated delinquent by the court system. I worked with with senior citizens. Um, so those were the two groups I worked with. Um, and and the senior citizens that I worked with um, wound up in uh, the projects. Uh, the Philadelphia Housing Authority. What
0: was the transition that took you from that to then? Um, was it uh, theater management? Was the degree at University of Maryland? What was, yes, the, was that theater transition? Management. What what drove you to leave one and go to the other, or was it an evolution?
1: Um, what happened was um, I had um, gone through um, a, a life changing experience. And I found myself um, literally homeless and um, without a job. Mm. Um, But some very good people um, took me in and and took care of me Mm. until I could uh, stand on my own two feet. And one of the people who assisted me during this um, very critical time period worked in a hotel and I got a job as a reservation agent. Okay. And that's where I got my information about sales. If we weren't good at what we did in terms of booking people Mm -hmm. and talking about the, um, the wonders of this, this big hotel, it was a resort hotel. Okay. Um, if we did not do that, then it meant that hours were cut because if there's no revenue, Great. They of can't pay, you know, so that's where I learned about customer service. And I thought that I was going to transition into to sales because at that point in time, the hospitality industry in Philadelphia in particular was notorious for not hiring African Americans in management positions. Mm-hmm. Even the uh, executive housekeeper, it was a management position, but that was the, the staff was black and brown, but the, the manager was white. Right. Um, The front desk staff was was pretty diverse, uh, but the the management was white. I knew that I wanted to be involved with the arts, uh, with with theater. Um, I had off and on taking classes at Freedom Theater. I even made it into the dance company uh, that Patricia Scott Hobbs formed. And I was just like, I'm too old to do this. I'm not going to do this. Uh, yeah, I was only like 26 at the time. You know? uh, I took classes at Freedom Theater in dance and, and, and voice and, and acting. Um, there was also uh, a school, um, a very well-known uh, dance teacher in Philadelphia. Her name is Jean Williams. Mm -hmm. And I took classes at the Gene Williams School of Ballet Um, just about the entire time I was in college. I would would do it um, during the summer. And I absolutely loved that. And then one day, I don't know how I found out about this, but I saw something in um, an arts publication about someone needed to produce uh, a Black theater festival at a teeny-tiny theater company. It was called Theater Center Philadelphia. It was on South Street. Okay. It was a dump. <laughs> I, it was on I actually, Top 4th Street. When would this have been? Uh, that would have been in the mid-80s, mm-hmm. late 80s, early 90s. So I went to Theater Center Philadelphia. The gentleman who was the founder uh, was a uh, Holocaust survivor. His mm-hmm. name was, was Albert Benzwi Horshon. Uh, he started the company, and he was the first person that I heard talk about multicultural theater, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, all kinds of folks were in and out of that theater, um, but mostly, but mostly black people, you know, like were um, were finding ways to to do work there. I didn't know the difference from a public service announcement or a press release <laughs> or any of that stuff. I didn't know what that was, but I learned it there. I learned about uh, budgeting there. I learned about uh, writing grants there. Mm. Uh, The office was above, this makeshift office was above um, the stage. And um, so I would hear, I was able to hear um, everything that was going on in rehearsals. You Uh know, I was able to absorb that Mm -hmm. and go sit and watch rehearsals. So that's where I met Walter Dallas, You know, um, because that was one of the places that he worked when he came to to Philadelphia to start the acting uh, curriculum at uh, the University of the Arts. So that's where I met him. And then there was uh, a woman by the name of Jacqueline Nancy, who spent a lot of time in New York. She was like the original stage manager for for Dreamgirls, you know, and she would tell me these stories (laughs) about the uh, choreographers going out, making her go out to get keels, um, you know, like, so they could do the choreography. And it was like, I don't want to hear nothing from these bees about not being able to do this, this choreography um, in these shoes because we have done, it, you know, so <laughs> like all small theaters, funding was a problem. Yeah. And um The theater company ran out of money. Um, The actors were out with pitchforks. Um, Albert threw me under the bus, you know, like in terms of what was going on with the money. And it was not my fault, you know, like at all. Um, And I decided that I, I didn't have any money, but I took a cab home. Somehow I knew that I was going to be okay. Uh, I knew that I was going to be okay. I think it was through the same publication. I found some information about a director of marketing's position at the Philadelphia Drama Guild, which was okay. at the time mm-hmm. a B-plus theater company. Yep. And then I also got information. I forget how I got this information, but I got information about a, a television station, a Fox television station in um, in D.C. Uh, for a public affairs assistant. And I was offered the job as a public affairs assistant. Okay. Um, but the Philadelphia Drama Guild created this position called um, group sales and community development. So that's how.
0: Well, those roots got planted. I got
1: started with the work that I do now um, to I took that position and wound up learning a lot about all kinds of different theater, you know. Um, at Theatre Center, Philadelphia, it was primarily um, black theater mm-hmm. that I worked on, but here uh, at the Philadelphia, but there at the Philadelphia Drama Guild, I learned uh, about Shakespeare and uh, Mary B. Robinson, um, Ethel Fungard, you know, Um, I was um, introduced to uh, a whole other world uh, of theater um, through the uh, Philadelphia Drama Guild. And when um, the turning point of me leaving uh, the Drama Guild came when um, I had become exhausted. Because the the weight of diversifying the audiences had fallen on my shoulder through uh, a grant that the company had gotten through uh, something called the Wallace Reader's Digest Foundation. At that point in time, they were giving out lots of money to to theater companies to. Um, to create diverse audiences and- Was
0: this before the job title or was the job title the result of the grant?
1: No, the job title came first. First, okay. You know, um, I think it was group sales. I got paid a little bit more money, um, but I was exhausted. And then my very best friend in the world uh, died. Mm. she uh, died of uh, of breast cancer. And um, I was exhausted. I was really, truly exhausted. And right before I left the company, I I asked them to lay me off. And they did. And right before I left the company, um, my mother's husband died. Mm. Uh, So I spent... I spent like three or four weeks, you know, just tending to to my mother um, Mm -hmm. after leaving the company. But before I left the company, this is how I got to the University of Maryland. Before I left the company, um, there were three people from the University of Maryland who were doing some research uh, because they were about to... uh, they wanted to break ground on a new performing arts center uh mm-hmm. the clarice e smith performing arts center i think it's called now and they were doing research uh and they were going uh uh around speaking to uh the theater companies that had gotten these line of wallace grants and they asked that they come speak to us and We wound up in a room with them, and one of them was an associate dean. And after we had this wonderful conversation, she asked, um, and I really, I'm so sorry, I can't remember her name at this point. Um, She asked me uh, if she could stay in contact, and I said, sure, but you're going to have to reach me at home. I'm leaving the company. And she said, so what are you going to do? And I uh-uh. said, I'm not quite sure. And she said, how about coming, doing your master's degree at the University of Maryland? And I was just like, okay. <laughs> this sounds great. It sounds great. <laughs> oh, how perfect. That sounds great. So I worked with her. I got in. Um, uh, I got in in um, April um 1994 I think yeah because I graduated in 97 um I got in in 19 in 1994 I uh packed up my house and um my sister and my nephew drove me to to Washington DC who were Uh, your
0: mentors your teachers while you were while you were studying who who are the people who influenced you
1: um, Bill Patterson, who ran the um, theater management program, mm-hmm. and he was—we would we would we always butt heads because, in addition to me taking my uh, the required courses for um, the management program, I would always take performance courses as well. Performance <laughs> classes as well. And um, he would always try to stop me, but the head of the department would always allow me to do what I wanted <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Dr. Uh, Riley, uh, he was the musical theater person there. Okay. And I took his course in musical theater. And thank that- Thank him for that. A lot. it taught me a lot. Um, um, It taught me that approaching a song, the lyrics, it's text. Mm -hmm. That's right. Text. So it's not the music. It's the text. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where you were going to... um, Pull your motivation, develop your character, figure all of that that stuff out, and um, we had to take voice lessons once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and we worked with graduate students, uh, PhDs, um, in who were in the music department. You know, like so we had to we had to do that. Um, there were four different. Um, categories that we needed to perform in musical comedy musical drama uh we had to do a duet and then we had to do something called stretch which was perform a role that you would not be cast
0: and who do you remember who your role
1: was ado annie from uh oklahoma yes (laughs) ma'am I had to be a 19-year-old white girl, Uh basically. Um, And I was hardly that. You know, I was a middle-aged woman. (laughs) (laughs) I got an A for that Mm -hmm. because I found her. I found her. I found her. I found the 19-year-old Marcia. I found her. And it was so much fun. Oh, what, what others? Scott Reese. Yes. Yeah, Scott Reese was also one of my uh, professors who was, was also a friend. I don't think I realized that he was your professor. Yeah, he was my professor.
0: He's going to love me. I, I seriously thought he would be um, much too young for that.
1: <laughs> you no, know, he, he was my professor. I was so close in age. Mm-hmm. Some of the professors that I had
0: upon graduation. So but I know anniversary year numbers for Walk Tall Girl. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure that I ever asked you about how, how you founded this company. Oh, um, what?
1: that was another moment when I walked away from something <laughs> <laughs> that I needed to walk away from. Out um, of closure comes beginnings. So... Um, Let me see, after graduation, I tried to find, uh, from grad school, I tried to find a job in DC. I wound up back in Philadelphia uh, for maybe a year. um, Wound up uh, working at Freedom Theater on a project and on a project, uh, bringing the noise, bringing the funk uh, Uh for the, the first national tour. That's how I found my connects. Um, to uh, the the Public Theater, and um, Donna Walker-Kune, at that point in time, she was working at the Public. Um, So once I finished those projects, something came across uh, Donna's desk. We were finishing up the tour. We were in Richmond, Virginia, Um, That was the last stop. I remember uh, driving to Philadelphia, stopping at my dad's house, taking a nap, and then getting back in the car and then driving to New York for this interview uh, to work in um, audience development for a Broadway show called Captain Kings. Okay. That's how I got to New York. I got hired for that game. Kat McKings uh, lasted less than uh, five months, and I wound up uh, getting a job at Aaron Davis Hall. Uh, I wound up as a programming associate, and I knew that I did not spend all of that time and money in graduate school to be a programming associate. I knew that I had my own vision. That's right. So it was when I went to uh, a Black Theater Network conference. Okay. It was at Saint Louis. It was in Saint Louis, mm-hmm. and people were delivering papers and talking about projects that they were very passionate about, and I was not passionate about anything that I was doing. Uh, so during the, the conference, I received a phone call. I, I checked my messages. And someone was asking me to to work. Someone from Philadelphia was bringing in a show off Broadway and asked me to to work with that. So I had one client. And then when I got back home from the conference, I um, spoke to Tunde Samuel Mm -hmm. at uh, the National Black Theater, and I met him. Uh, while I was in graduate school, and he kept an, he kept an eye out, out on me, and like he kept in contact while I was in, in graduate school. So we had this long conversation, and he suggested that I start my own company. Michael Pinkney uh, me. Pink me, suggested the same thing when I got out of graduate school. And I was like, no, no, I can't do that. And, uh, but this time I heard. Tunde. And I said, Oh my God, day! how am I going to pay my rent? And he said, You're a smart woman. You're going to be able to, to pay your rent. He didn't, uh, he didn't say I was always going to be able to pay it on time, um, <laughs> but he said um, that I would pay my rent. So the next day, I went in to Ambedkar's Hall. And I submitted my resignation. I gave right. them a month. And at the end of the month, I had enough clients. I knew how I was going to take care of myself for the rest of the year and then beyond. Uh, one night while I was uh, doing some work on a computer <laughs> that I wasn't supposed to be doing <laughs> at Aaron Davis Hall, I am... Came up with the name Walk Tall Girl Productions. It was something that my uh, mother encouraged me to do because there are, are many tall young women around these days, and um, they're tall, and then they put on six-inch six heels, and they don't right. care. Right? You know, they don't care. You know, they, they said their heels, stilettos. I'm wearing them. But I was much taller than than everybody else, and um, my mother noticed that I had begun to stoop, and she was not having that. Mm. So she suggested, she told me um, to walk tall, walk tall girl, you know, so that's how I came up with the name.
0: And for, because this is, you know, the internet is listening and they can't see you, how tall are you? 5'11". Yeah, I thought so. Also for our listeners, though, they should know that you can still rock a decent pair of heels. uh, And I should probably make sure that our introduction adequately explains um, what a fashionista you are as well. (laughs) I'd like to ask you, I want to be mindful of time, but I want to um, ask you as as a person whose work is... um, focused on reaching the largest number of audience members um but particularly with a multiracial, multicultural um i think you even say multi-generational mm-hmm. uh, audience goal. like where where do you think you will get to do the most work when we come out of this and where do you think there's the most work yet to do it, we're not going back to the same no, There's
1: no normal to go back no. to. What has worked well for me is that I have nurtured an online community over the years. And initially, uh, with the pandemic, uh, I was so bummed out. I, for about a month, I did not do uh, my uh, weekly newsletter. And I decided to continue with the newsletter. Is was... To continue to get keep my brain out there, you know, on uh, to to keep to remain engaged with um, the community. So at the very least, I was I was doing that. And then while the um, theater community was migrating to online, yeah, um, I was ready. Um, in order to assist with that, in terms of, of newsletter inclusion, um, dedicated eblast um, with a uh, social media push mm-hmm. uh, to be able to to do those things to work in conjunction with theater companies to plan online content um, to. Um, to support virtual productions that were, were going on, uh, the work that, that we did during the summer with the uh, black uh, the Black Theater Week, yep, um, that reached thousands of people, more people than we could have imagined. Um, and your taking um, the Black Theater
0: Preview mm-hmm. into the virtual space was a very new approach. Yeah, to managing that and. Uh, I mean, uh, what what a remarkable reach! I'm I'm curious. Like, we haven't talked about um, the Black Theater Preview and and the role that that plays in your company, uh, but I'm I'm wondering where this crossover is going to end up. Like, where this line is going to be between how many people we can reach virtually um, and marrying that with the human, the real person to person experience mm-hmm. that you get from being in a room. Uh, I mean, one of the things that you do best is <laughs> bringing an audience in to say, like, "Meet this cast, mm-hmm. talk to this director, hear what they have to say," and uh, and being able to do the group sales there on the spot while people are emotionally engaged and connected to all of this work. And um, I, mean, I think I'm it's
1: going to be a combination. It's going to be a combination of both the um, the um, Cultivation events are going are not going to go away, you yeah. know, um, but I see them being done in conjunction with smaller um, online events, you know, like more intimate events um, where uh, people can actually have those one on one conversations um, with artists. Um, it's exclusive. You um, we can only do uh, we can only have uh, twenty people or thirty people. Um, on this call or in this room um, uh, to to be able to do that so there's going to be uh, that uh, being out in the community at festivals once we're able to gather that way again we're going to have to continue um, to do those kinds of creating that presence uh, in the community uh, because a lot of times if people don't see you yes um, they don't think that, that you exist. Yeah. Could
0: I ask you to take just a moment and talk about the creation of, and the role of, um, the Black Theater Preview. It, It is a project that is endemic to you and to Walk Tall Girl Productions. And there is not anything else that, plays the same role. And I'm wondering if you could uh, walk us through maybe it's, it's origins.
1: It came out of a conversation with um, a young woman uh, by the name of Chichi Anyawu. She is uh, clearly an influencer, mm-hmm. and, but she is also someone who started her own business um, in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, she started her own uh, talent management agency And uh, she continues to have conversations centered around um, theater. We had a conversation uh, a couple of years ago about bringing, uh, about doing something together and about bringing theaters together um, to highlight what was happening um, because there was so much uh, work that was being done um, by that was written by African American playwrights at the time. The number was unprecedented. You know, what
0: year would this have
1: been? Mm-hmm. What year was this? Uh, it was twenty. It was twenty eighteen because it was we did our first one uh, about a month after Intisar younger died. So, it was mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so we did the first one at um, the Vineyard Theater. And uh, it was absolutely wonderful. And then we did the second one, and I pitched it to the um, Schomburg Center. That's right. And it remains one of their favorite, (laughs) one of their favorite um, activities. So I partnered with. um, I continued to partner with um, the Schomburg. We only get one event. Per year at the Schomburg, you know. So in the um, winter of twenty twenty, January twenty twenty, we moved everything onto Brooklyn, you know. And that was an entirely new audience for us, you mm. know, um, people finding their way to the, the Long Island University um, to that performing arts center. So it was a, a wonderful uh, experience uh, to have people to have panel discussions with new playwrights um, and to see scenes, uh, to see excerpts from productions uh, and that given context, uh, to also have a marketplace for people to buy tickets and find out uh, how they could um, connect with, with the institutions it is such a thrill to be able to to do that work in person. We did the Black Theater preview online for Black Theater Week and it was fine. But at that point in time, I made the decision that the next time we would do the Black Theater preview was when we could once again do it live. Right. Because that's how it needs to be done. It needs to be done live. I agree. It needs to have that kind of energy, even though what we did uh, speaking to theater companies from all over the country, that was great that we were able to do that. I still would like to do that.
0: That showcase was unique, particularly, I I think, because Black Theatre, because the Black Theatre Week was July, (laughs) the end of July this past summer. And, um, you know... People would I mean, literally, I know of viewers who would protest during the day and come home and take a shower and eat dinner while watching one of our programs in the evening. And there were so many more people who learned about black theater companies that Mm -hmm. they never knew existed as a result of that online presence. Um, But it is different than that concentrated celebration of black art in new york city
1: absolutely absolutely you you cannot beat that you cannot beat that energy you you just really can't beat that energy i'm curious uh what
0: is next on your wish list
1: (laughs) what is next on my wish list um
0: is there a type of program you haven't yet run is there uh, An art, particular artist or particular producer with which you'd hope to work. Is there a long nap and then going to see every play ever on the planet when it's open again?
1: <laughs> um, I would really love to return to writing something other than a press release, mm. my newsletter. Uh, Michael Dinwiddie has been on me about that. Mm-hmm. Noted. I and it would be a piece, a solo performance that it that would be autobiographical in nature. Mm-hmm. I already know the actress that I want. That isn't also, you. That is not me. No. Okay. That is not me. It is Nicole Salter. Uh. I want.
0: <laughs> yes she hears this uh, you know yes, we say on just about every episode from your lips to the internet's ears. so yeah. nicole, I know you are busy saving the world right now, but just pile yeah. this away <laughs> yeah.
1: but once she, once she's done doing that, I'm going to have a project for her. Mm. I would I would like to to do that and I would also like to. Grow my platforms, as as you know, um, I in the broadcast biz too. Basically. I was going to ask if you wanted to mention the radio show. Yeah, I am heard every Thursday from nine p.m. to nine fifty-five p.m. on WBAI FM ninety-nine point five FM in New York or WBAI.org, the name of the program is called Backstage Stories. The one thing that I understand is that if I come to this work in a spirit of service and a spirit of love, it is I am always led in the right direction when it comes to um, creating a space For people to do the work and to experience the work.
0: There's a question that I ask everyone if there's one play that you think belongs in the Black canon, what would it be?
1: Oh, man. Just one? (laughs) Just one. Wow. Um, I'm caught in between one of my favorite plays of all times and then. One of my favorite new playwrights, a relatively new playwright who has gone on and done well in theater and film. And it is he who I have a personal relationship with. And um, the other person passed away a week before I started graduate school, and I did my very first paper as a graduate student on her. So I have to go with two, can you All can right. You please? please. The first one would be Alice Childress, Trouble in Mind. Yes. I love that piece. I was introduced to that piece uh, by a director who passed away uh, in the Early part of the uh 21st century, his name was uh Ricardo Martin. Mm. And he introduced me to that play, and I just said, this is phenomenal, just so phenomenal.
0: And my, my copy of that script, I just have to say out loud, still has Marvin Sims' name written across the top uh, of
1: it. Yeah. And the second piece would probably be I want to say Choir Boy, but I really and truly believe um, I just loved Head of Passes. Oh, yeah. I just loved Head of Passes with um, that magnificent performance by Felicia Rashawn.
0: That's right. Um, And I just want to speak Terrell Alvin McCraney's name for our listeners that don't know Head of Passes um, or Choir Boy, which I just adore.
1: Yes, it's they're both really wonderful pieces, and I'll never forget reading the brother's sides, part of his brother sister plays Mm -hmm. trilogy, and the public theater was doing a production of that before he got out of graduate school. I think he was in his last year of graduate school, and I read I read this play and this has never happened to me before i wound up crying uncontrollably at the end of that piece yeah and i said who is this person who can do this to me on the page right so anything by him could make it in there
0: yeah i'll support that wholeheartedly (laughs) That was marketing and audience development star and president of Walk Tall Girl Productions, Marcia Pendleton. This is the Black Theatre History Podcast. I am KB Sane. Our podcast is produced by Equity Justice Productions and is edited by Jeremiah Turner. Our music is by Kaya Caterhurst from the album Nine Pin, which can be found wherever great music is sold. If you like what you hear on the podcast, you can learn more at www.blacktheaterhistory.com. There, you'll find a link to Marcia's Playbill.com feature, a link to sign up for her weekly newsletter, and a link to her radio show, Backstage Stories. You can also find details about donating to the podcast and about episode commissions and sponsorship. That's www.blacktheaterhistory.com. Theater is spelled with an R-E. Please subscribe to the Black Theater History Podcast on Audible, Apple Podcasts, and other fine streaming devices. And please do leave us a review. Your feedback helps get the podcast out to folks who don't yet know about us. The Black Theater History Podcast is produced under a Creative Commons license. Teachers who wish to use the interviews in their classes can link to them directly from our website. Thank you to all of you, our listeners, and a special thank you always to my friends and colleagues at the Black Theater Network. We're all in this together, friends, and we've got a lot more to learn. Thanks for listening.